Welcome to the Greystone Church Podcast. We are grateful that you're here. We pray that you will be blessed by this message and that God will impact your hearts. Let's listen. Welcome to Greystone Church. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. I'd like to welcome our other campuses, our Milton campus, our Walton campus, our Conan campus, our online campus. How's the Azor campus? Are you guys awake? Y'all ready to... Y'all ready to rock and roll? So we had a phenomenal Easter egg hunt yesterday. I was so proud uh, of our team. Our children's ministry team uh, did an incredible uh, job. We had a, a lot of volunteers out at the egg hunts, and we met so many new people. So we were able to have the egg hunts uh, at middle schools and parks and just get out in the community and meet a lot of new people. If you're here today from the, from the egg hunts, thank you so much. Uh, for joining us, and we're able to invite a lot of people to Easter at Greystone Church. And so I want to go ahead, I put it out there last week. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to say it again this week, but our Easter services this year are going to be the best Easter services we've ever had, okay? It's, it's going to be uh, phenomenal. And so I'm going on record with that, so it, it's going to be good. We've been planning it since November. So we've been playing it since November. The creative team has gone over the top this year. Uh, the music, of course, is going to be amazing. And the message will be for everybody, okay? And so I want to I make a deal with you. I want us to partner together uh, for Easter. And I want you to do something that I can't do. And I'm going to do something that many of you uh, can't do. And so what I can't do is be friends with all of your friends, okay? It's just physically impossible for me to have the relationships with all of your friends and all of your family like you do. And I wanna encourage you to invite your friends, invite your family, and I only ask you to do this couple, twice a year. Easter and Christmas, really. Those are, those are the two big Sundays that people are most likely to, to come to church. And if you'll have somebody sitting with you Easter Sunday, a friend, a neighbor, a family member. If you'll do that for me, do what I can't do, you have someone sitting with you, I promise you, I'm gonna share with them the gospel in a way that is powerful, in a way that, that, that God's gonna change their life for all eternity. So we'll partner together, right? Let's work together and trust God to do on Easter what only God can do. The other thing happening Easter is baptisms. And I can't think of a better day to get baptized than Easter Sunday. And so if you haven't been baptized and God is leading you to get baptized, I would encourage you to get baptized Easter Sunday. Okay, it's gonna be a phenomenal, phenomenal day. So, so the title of, of today's message is to seek God in the setback. To seek God in the setback. And today we've been going through the book of Acts. And today I'm gonna cover Acts chapter 16. It's a, long, it's a long chapter. I'm not gonna read the whole chapter. I wanna talk about it. We're, we're gonna talk about it. I'm gonna share the story. God does some amazing things in Acts chapter 16. Then we're gonna, we're gonna have some principles and, and some, some application. So Acts chapter 16 covers Paul, the apostle Paul, his second missionary journey. And he goes to Barnabas and he says, hey, let's go on a second missionary journey. Let's go back to the churches that we started, encourage all the believers, encourage the churches, and then you know, take some new territory uh, for the kingdom of God. 
And so Barnabas says, great, let's do it. But Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. And Paul and Barnabas end up having a strong disagreement. They have a strong argument. Because the apostle Paul doesn't want to take John Mark with them because John Mark had bailed on them in the first missionary journey. He'd quit and he, he went home and says, I, don't want to, I, don't want, I want to take him with us. And Barnabas says, no, I want, I want to take him with us. So, so they decide to go their separate ways. So Barnabas takes John Mark and they sail to Cyprus. And then the apostle Paul takes Silas. He says, I'm going to take Silas with me. Well, then also he takes young Timothy. Now, young Timothy, he was, he was this new believer, uh, good reputation. People have been talking about how he's on fire for God. So he wanted to take Timothy with him. And Timothy, uh, his mom was Jewish and his mom was Greek. And so he, he came from an interracial marriage. And Timothy had, had not been circumcised. And so the church had already decided that you didn't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Circumcision was the sign and seal of the covenant in the Old Testament. But the church had already decided you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. But Paul wanted to make sure, have Timothy circumcised before they went on this missionary trip uh, so that he wouldn't be a stumbling block to the Jews. Now, how someone would know whether Timothy was circumcised or not circumcised, I'm not sure, you know. But if someone were to ask, he would be able to say, yes, I, you know, I've been circumcised. And I, think, I think about the commitment, the sacrifice to be a missionary. You know, without the, the medicine we have these days, without the technology we have these days for a young adult to be, to be I'm not going to go into any details there. But like the, the commitment was high, Right? And Paul believed in this, this philosophy, and he shares it in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 22 to 23. He says, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that, that I may share in its blessings. And so Paul was passionate about reaching people and relating to people and becoming all things to all men so he could share the gospel with them. And so uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy and their team, they, they begin the second missionary journey, and they begin by going to the churches that they started first, encouraging the believers, sharing the gospels, teaching them the word of God, inspiring with them, relaying the message that the church council had just uh, decided. Uh, and then they, they wanted to go into Asia. But it says that the Holy Spirit, and you guys can read this for yourselves. I know we're reading it in our daily Bible reading plan says the Holy Spirit prevented them from sharing the gospel in Asia. And so then they were going to go north up to Bithynia. And it says the Holy Spirit prevented them from going there. So they go, they circle around, they go all the way through Mysia to the port city of Tros. Okay? And they're in Tros. And the apostle Paul has a vision in a dream where this man from Macedonia says, please come over and, and help us. And so they wake up the next morning and Paul shares about this dream. He shares about this vision. They feel like that God, God wants them to go share the gospel uh, over in Macedonia. And so it says the next day they set sail for Macedonia across the Aegean Sea. 
And so it's interesting in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, the author of Acts, who we know is Luke, switches from using the word they to using the word we. So most scholars believe that it's in Tros that, that Luke joins the missionary team because from then on in the book of Acts, he uses first person plural. He uses, he uses we. So, so the first point I, I wanna make from, the, from this story is that God directs us to our destinations. God directs us to our destinations. The apostle Paul and his companions, they were super sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They were sensitive to where the Holy Spirit was leading them and the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to Asia, prevented them from going to Bithynia. He has this dream, he has this vision and says, I want you to go to Macedonia. So the Holy Spirit directs us to our destinations. How do you know what God is leading you to do? How do you know God's will for your life? Like, how do you know what God has called you to do? I wanna share with you five ways that God's spirit directs us, and this, this all comes from the book of Acts, okay? You need to make a big decision. You're not sure about God's will. How do you know? Well, here's five ways. Number one are divine visions. Divine visions, divine dreams. Now, we see this throughout the Bible, that God speaks to us in our dreams, that God speaks to us through a vision. So we have John of the, John, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember the dreams that, that he had? Uh, we have Joseph and Mary. They both have dreams, and God, an angel comes and tells them what to do with the birth of Jesus and, and where to go. A couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, the apostle Peter, who has this dream, and the sheet, remember the, the sheet comes down from heaven with the angels that were on the, on the sheet. God speaks to us in dreams and visions. One of our church members shared with me a couple of weeks ago that he had a dream, and that I was in the dream, and our church was in the dream, and, and God had spoken to him through the dream, and he was relaying the dream to me. God speaks to us through dreams and visions. Number two, a uh, way to know God's will for our lives is direct intuition. Direct intuition. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And we know the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Like you're in tune with the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you know that the Holy Spirit is telling you to do it. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I know some people have. Some people have heard the audible voice. I haven't heard the audible voice of God. But when the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and the Holy Spirit is telling me to do something, I know that he is speaking to me. I know that he is telling me to do something. You have that intuition. You just know that you're supposed to do something. You know that God is calling you to do something. You, you know that God is speaking to you. And so we have the example in Acts chapter 8. And we covered this a few weeks ago. Uh, but the Holy Spirit comes to Philip and tells Philip to go down the desert road, to go, to go into the desert, which is the, 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 the path less traveled. And he goes into the desert, and then the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go walk alongside of this chariot, walk alongside of, of this carriage. 
And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah and he doesn't understand what it means. And, and Philip says, do you understand what it means? And he says, no, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And then Philip ends up leading him to Christ. He tells him about Jesus and the eunuch says, here's some water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And he baptized the eunuch on the spot. The Holy Spirit gives us direct intuition. There's just sometimes we know this is what God wants us to do. Uh, number three is counsel from trusted believers. In Acts chapter 15, we have the counsel of the church, the elders and the, and the apostles. They came together and they, they made some decisions. And, and now uh, Paul and Silas are delivering the word to the churches. We see the apostle Paul writing these letters back to the churches that he started. That, that we, we have them as epistles or, or letters uh, in the scriptures. They were words of uh, of encouragement. Uh, and we want to seek counsel from trusted friends. You know, if you have to make a big decision, talk to a Christian friend who you trust, you know, someone who you uh, respect. I, see, I seek counsel all the time. Uh, on Friday, I, I, was, I reached out to one of my mentors, a guy named John Wooster. He lives in, uh, South, uh, lives in California, one of my church planting friends. He, he was coaching me when we were in Texas and and uh, so I called him on, on Friday, and we talked on the phone, and, and I was asking him, we're starting this new campus in Milton, and so I was getting advice from him, some, some next steps, and, and uh, what should we do? Uh, there's other, other pastors, you know, we did a demographic study of all, the, all of our campuses, and, and, and I was talking to one of our friends, Kevin, and he was giving me some insight, how can we reach this community, what are, what are some things we can do to reach the different uh, communities. We have an executive board. We're constantly seeking their advice and, and their counsel. So if you don't know what to do, seek a Christian friend who you uh, respect and who you trust. Uh, number four is guidance through prayer. Guidance through prayer. We have this story in Acts chapter 13 where the church is praying, the church is fasting, the church is worshiping. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, I want you to commission uh, Paul and Barnabas and send them out as send them out as missionaries, and it says that the church continued to pray and the church continued to fast. If you don't know what it is that, that God wants you to do, take it to the Lord in prayer. Get other people praying, praying together. We, we pray about something. God will reveal to us what he wants us to do. And then the fifth thing is insight through Scripture. The Word of God is our, it's our manual for living, right? It's, it's our roadmap uh, for life. And the more you know the Word of God, the more you know what God wants you to do. And the more you know the Word of God, the more, the more you give the Holy Spirit to work with, right? Because the, the more God's Word in, in your life, the more you know what God wants you to do and the more the Holy Spirit can, can speak to you because just about everything we need to do is already written for us in the Word of God. Like th this is how God speaks to us is through His through his word. And so if you have a big decision, uh, here's five things you can do to get clear direction from God. A divine vision or dream, direct intuition, counsel from trusted believers, guidance through prayer, and insight through scriptures. You guys still with me? You're not falling asleep on me, are you? All right, so, so God directs Paul and Silas and Timothy and now Luke and their, their entire uh, missionary team to go to Macedonia. And so they get on a ship and they set sail across the Aegean Sea 
and they come to the port city of Neapolis. And then they take a 10-mile trip inland to the major city of Philippi. And Philippi, the church in Philippi, ends up being the first church the Apostle Paul starts in Europe. And part of the Apostle Paul's strategy was to go to these major cities. He would go to these influential cities, plant the gospel there, plant the church there, and then the believers there would take it out to the countryside and the surrounding areas. But he would target major cities, and he would target people who were spiritually hungry. And so we see over and over again in the book of Acts that, that the Apostle Paul would go to the local synagogue, and he would begin preaching about Jesus in the synagogue. Now, Philippi didn't have a strong enough Jewish community to have a synagogue. There was, there was no synagogue in Philippi. And so they go down to the river because typically a, a, a place of worship was, was, was by water with ceremonial rites and, and all of that. And so Paul finds a group of ladies who are, who are praying down by the river. And so in Acts chapter 16, there, there are three conversion stories. Uh, one is a wealthy person, one is a middle-class person, and one is a slave girl. The first one was Lydia. Now, Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth. We all know that purple is a sign of royalty, right? Purple's like the best, right? Are y'all with me? You know, purple, the, you know, the color purple is a sign of, of royalty. Now, now, Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman. And it says that God opens her heart to the gospel. She puts her faith in Jesus. And Lydia and her entire household, everybody in her family is baptized. And then Lydia insists like she's a strong leader, right? She insists that Paul and his entire missionary team stay at her house. Like, have you ever met uh, ladies like that? Like, like, they're gonna have it no other way? Like, you're staying with me and that's the end of the story and you've got no discussion in the matter? So that's how Lydia was. She said, you're staying with me. And so that became their home base. That they started this church in Lydia's house and they would go to the river in the afternoons to pray. And so Lydia was the first person converted in Philippi. The second person that was converted was this slave girl who was possessed by a demon. And she had the ability to tell the future. And so her owners were making a lot of money off of her through fortune telling because she could tell the future. And so as as Luke tells the story, she begins to follow the Apostle Paul around and the missionary team around and say that, hey, they are servants of the Most High God and they're here to tell you about salvation. And they keep following Paul around, she keeps following Paul around and she keeps, keeps announcing to everybody who Paul is and what he's there to do. And the Bible says that, that Paul got tired of it. He got exasperated by this girl constantly wearing him out. So he turns and he says, in the name of Jesus, and he casts the demon out of the girl. And he saves her. He, he sets her free through the power of Jesus' name. 
Well, she can no longer predict the future, right? She doesn't have this demon in her. So, so now her owners, there goes their, their get-rich-quick scheme. So they're upset with Paul. So they form this mob, and they go to the city council, and they stir up all this stuff about Paul and Silas and how, how they're against Rome and how they're, they're, they're saying we need to worship another king named Jesus and so without a trial, without anything, they strip Paul and Silas and the missionary team na naked, 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 not naked. I'm from South Mississippi. Jennifer and I talk all the time. It's amazing that, that uh, anyone comes and listens. But anyway, they strip them. They beat them with wooden rods, and then they throw them in jail without a trial. Now, they haven't done anything wrong. They're just being faithful. They're being obedient. They're doing what God called them to do. And they, and they tell the jailer, the officials tell the jailer, like, don't let these folks escape, because if they escape, it, your life's on the line, right? We'd already, we've already seen that earlier in, in the book of Acts. And so, I want you to think about Paul and Silas and everything that they went through. They are beaten, they're bruised, they're in shackles, they're in prison. So the jailer, the jailer ends up putting them in the dungeon, puts them in the center, you know, the, the worst place of the prison, and puts shackles on their feet, puts them in stocks. So they haven't, they haven't done anything wrong, but they find themselves beaten and in prison and in shackles. And I want you to see how they respond. It says that at midnight, in the middle of this prison, in the dungeon, they begin praying and singing hymns to God. They are beaten, they are bruised, they are in pain, they're hurting, there's no way out, they're stuck. They don't complain, they don't say, why me? They are singing praises to God. And it says that the other prisoners are listening. And this is just a little side note, but if you're a follower of Jesus, the world is always watching. In the good times and in the bad times, the world's watching. The world's watching to see how we're gonna respond. How are we living our lives? What are, what are we gonna say? What are, we gonna, what are we gonna post on social media? Like the world is always watching. Point number two, and this is, this is the theme of the message, is to seek God in the setbacks. To seek God in the setbacks. So Paul and Silas ha have a little setback here. You know, they went to where God had directed them to go. They were faithfully doing what God had called them to do. God was using them in a powerful way. They started a new church. Lydia and her entire household comes to know Christ and, and is baptized. God's performing miracles through them. They cast out a, a demon. And what does all of this get them? It gets them falsely accused. It gets them beaten. It's got them arrested. It's got them thrown in prison. They didn't do anything wrong. They were doing, they were doing the Lord's work. There's a huge lesson to learn here. 
When we go where God calls us to go, and when we do what God calls us to do, if you are doing the Lord's work, there's going to be opposition. Because we're in a war. We, we are in a battle. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be setbacks in life. There are disappointments. There are challenges. There are setbacks. Life is not always up and to the right. Like ministry is not always up and to the right. There are mountaintop experiences and there are valleys. There are highs and there are lows. We all go through them. We all have setbacks. And I wanna encourage you in the setback to seek God in the setback. They were seeking God. They were praising God. They were singing hymns. They, they were praying. We wanna seek God in the setback. Don't complain, don't whine, don't be a crybaby. Don't quit. Don't quit in the dip. You know, the tendency is when, when you know, we're in the dip and when, when things aren't going so great, to quit. See, Satan wants us to quit. Satan wants you to quit in the dip, okay? But don't quit in the dip. Don't give in and don't give up. Don't run from God in the tough times. Run to God. Ministry is full of setbacks. It doesn't always go the way that we think it's gonna go. Our prayers don't always get answered the way that we want them to get answered. There's gonna be setbacks. I wanna encourage you to be ready for the setbacks. Be ready. Uh, when Jennifer and I, God called us from Texas to move to Georgia to start Greystone Church, in the beginning, in the early days, we had all kinds of setbacks. Uh, the first setback that we had is our house in Texas didn't sell. And so the house here was contingent upon the house in Texas selling. So when we came rolling into town, we had no place to live. Like our house had fallen through. We didn't, we didn't have a place because we still had the, the house in Texas. But we felt like God was calling us. It was time to come. We wanted the kids to start school at the beginning uh, of the school year. And so the first several weeks, we, we had no place to live. We were living with friends. Uh, we were living, living out of a suitcase. And then we were able to re-qualify for the house. I don't know if you, you remember back in the days when you could qualify for just about anything. So we qualified. So we, we, got, we got in the house. One of the most stressful days of my life when we rolled into town, we went and looked at the house we were supposed to live in and it was open and it was ready and it was everything. And Jennifer looks at me and she says, you get me in this house. <laughs> when Lydia, I mean, Jennifer says, you get me in this house. You know, I call my buddy, I'm like, we gotta get in this house. Well, we got in the house. But then we had two house payments. We had a house payment in Texas and we had a house payment here. What little savings we had, completely gone. There were setbacks. Our church in Texas was saying, well, hey, maybe, maybe God wants y'all to come back to Texas. You know, you still got the house here. There were challenges along the way. Our sponsor church here in Georgia, after we moved here, after we got going, they decided they didn't want to support us anymore. They're like, you're too close. The pastor told me, he said, it would be great to have a little healthy competition. 
I'm like, churches aren't supposed to have competition. Like, we're on the same team. We are 20 people meeting in our living room. We're not competition for y'all. Like, we have no money. Like, we're just getting started. There were setbacks along the way. And when you have setbacks, your faith is challenged and your calling's challenged. And it puts you on your knees and you're depending solely on God. We had a groundbreaking ceremony to, to build the Azure campus. We were meeting in a warehouse in Grayson. We all came out here and uh, we had these wood stakes and we wrote Bible verses on the stakes. It was this huge celebration. We got the outline of the Azura building and we, we drove stakes in the ground. We were breaking ground the next day like the bulldozers were coming to build the church. 2008, our bank collapsed. The bank that we were getting the loan from to build the church went out of business the next day. So the next Sunday, went back to the church, said, hey, remember that groundbreaking ceremony and uh, we were gonna build the church? Well, the loan fell through. We're not gonna be able to build. Major setback, we're gonna stay in the warehouse. We're gonna have to stay here another year. Some of you know the story, but we ended up having a, a private investor uh, loaned us $2.1 million. There are setbacks along the way. It doesn't always go up and to the right, but you can't quit in the dip. You have to seek God in the setback. Over the past 18 and a half years, we've had a lot of setbacks. We've had church splits. We have had staff members betray us. We have lost close friends. But you can't quit in the dip. You have to keep seeking God in the setback. And so Paul and Silas are experiencing a setback. They're experiencing some pain and some hurt. But I want you to see here, they chose to praise God in the pain. They chose to pray and they chose to sing hymns to God and at midnight, as they're singing hymns and as they're praying to God, God does a miracle. An earthquake comes. And it says the prison doors flew open and the shackles came off of their feet. And God was setting them free. God did a miracle. And the jailer wakes up and he sees that the prison doors are open and he's about to fall on his sword and commit suicide because he knew that it would cost him his life if the prisoners had escaped. And the apostle Paul says, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all still here. And the jailer comes over and he falls on his knees right in front of Paul and he says, what, what should I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that jailer was saved, says that his entire household was saved that night, his entire household was baptized. Like they took Paul and Silas out of prison and, and they were all baptized and, and the jailer took them to his house and he, he tended to their wounds and he fed them. God does this incredible miracle. 
This, this is a side note, but God reaches people through families. We see it with Lydia's family, her entire family becomes, comes to Christ. We see it with the jailer, his entire family comes to Christ. I've seen it with families in our church. One person in the family becomes a Christian and the entire family comes to know Christ. God reaches people through households. God reaches people through families. I want to close with this point. Is there was a purpose in the pain. You know, Paul and Silas, they were beaten. They were thrown in prison. But there was purpose in the pain. Because God wanted to use them to reach the jailer and his entire household for Christ. Like that was his plan, that was his purpose. Like he allowed something bad to happen to them to put them in the place so that God could use them in a powerful, powerful way. There was purpose in the pain. I think about the pain that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross for us. There was purpose in the pain. There's, there was purpose in the pain. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Like it, it's by his wounds that we are healed. It's through his, his pain that we have salvation in heaven. You know, we all go through pain and suffering. I mean, it, it is a part of life. We all face storms of life. We all face setbacks. We all face disappointments. We all, we all go through difficult things. And sometimes we, we can look back on our lives, you know, years later and say, oh, there was a purpose in the pain. Like, I saw how God was orchestrating that and working that out. But sometimes we, we don't understand. We don't, we, we don't know what the purpose in the pain was. If you're in the middle of a setback, if you're in the middle of some pain right now, you may not know the purpose of your pain. You may not know or understand why it's happening to you. And there may be nothing you can do about it. You know, Paul and Silas, they were stuck in prison. I mean, they were in the dungeon, they were in shackles. There's really nothing they could do about it other than pray and to praise God in their pain. And it says that God did a miracle, the prison doors flew open, the shackles came off. You may feel like you're in a prison. You may feel like you are in shackles. You may not know the purpose of your pain, but you have a choice. You, you, ha you, have, a, you have a choice. You can run to God or you can run from God. I want to encourage you to praise God in the pain, to seek God in the setback. I don't know what everybody's going through. I know what some of you are going through, but not everybody. Some of you have had a physical setback. You're dealing with an injury, you're dealing with a disease, you're dealing with cancer, you're, you're, you're battling an illness. Some of you've had a financial setback. Some of you've had a relational setback. Maybe you're going through a divorce or, or you've lost a loved one or you've had a breakup. Maybe you've had a career setback. 
Maybe you've had a spiritual setback. Like you're not as close to God as you used to be. You've given in to some type of sin or, or temptation. Or maybe you've had a mental health setback. You're suffering from fear and anxiety and, and depression. Whatever, whatever your setback is, I want to encourage you to seek God in a setback. To praise God in your pain. Choose to rejoice. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said to consider it all joy when we face trials and tribulations. So, so here's the application today. It's very simple. And it's to take a step towards God. If we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. It says to come near to God and he'll come near to you. Whatever you're going through, don't take a step away from God. Take a step toward God. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whatever that looks like for you, take that step towards God. Don't run from God. Run to God. And we believe that, that God is a God of miracles. For you, the situation you're in, you may feel trapped. You may feel stuck. You may feel like there's no way out. But God can swing open those prison doors. He, he can release those shackles. He, he can do a miracle. And we're believing in faith that he's gonna do it. So let's, let's pray together. God, I thank you for the faith, the courage, the obedience of Paul and Silas. You call them to Macedonia and they get on, they get on a ship and they sail to Macedonia and, and they're faithful to share the gospel. And people are coming to know Christ and lives are being changed, a church is being planted. And then they have a setback. They're, they're falsely accused, they're beaten without a trial, they're thrown in prison. Instead of complaining, instead of having a pity party, they, they choose to praise you. They choose to seek you. In the middle of their pain, in the middle of their suffering, God, you do a miracle. And you open the prison doors and you, you set them free. And you use them to lead the jailer and his entire family to faith in Jesus. God, I pray for everyone here, everyone watching, everyone listening, whatever the setback is, whatever the disappointment is, whatever pain that we're going through, God, we wanna seek you in the setback. We wanna pursue you in our pain. God, we wanna take a step closer to you. We're not running from you. God, we're coming closer to you. God, we want to live our lives in the shadow of your wings. And we're going to trust you, God, to do a miracle. We're going to trust you, God, to do what only you can do. And we're we are going to serve you in the ups and downs of life. And we pray it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more of these messages or info on Greystone Church, feel free to visit our website, greystonechurch.com. We pray that you will have an amazing day.